You're listening to Screeners and Dailies, part of the Real Change Movie Podcast. Alright guys, it's Screeners and Dailies. It's November 5th here on a Sunday is when we're recording. We're taking a look at, this week we're talking, uh, well, movies that came out over the weekend. We're going to be looking at the box office. Thor, Ragnarok, how did it do? Then we're going to be getting into a fun talk about what is coming out this fall slash winter. What are we excited about? I'm William Rankin. It's Charlie Stabile. How you doing? We're going to be getting into as well later in the show talking about Criterion released The Breakfast Club. That's created a nice, fun storm. And then, finally, we want to end on an interesting note having to do with belated, very belated sequels. Do they work? The pitfalls of them? Are there ones that we're more excited to see than others? Specifically tied to one that's really close to our hearts. We'll see if it's going to happen. Will it work? We don't know. Um, this weekend, it was, we're coming off of the Halloween weekend, right? That was a week ago. And no surprise when we talked about Boo! <laughs> Boo two was uh, was number one, and of course the week after Halloween, those movies usually careen off the cliff because that's really what they're made for. So briefly talking about it, going into the weekend, I think we both knew Thor was easily going to be number one. It had it's it's had an, a pretty strong marketing campaign that started, you know, w- months ago. Of course, Comic Con helped amp it up. We knew the Hulk was going to be in this, so that really added a nice, a, a nice extra layer. Because Thor, the Thor movies, when you look at the Marvel ones, I know you're not a huge like fan of these movies overall. Like they're not. Your I'm quality. really not a fan of the Thor movies. They're they're bad. Yeah, and they're awful. They're the worst of those movies. Yeah, Branagh did the first one. I yep. can't remember the guy who did the second one off the top of my head. That was the guy that did Terminator Genesis. Alan Taylor. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> That one did better than Thor, but I still... And even though like the, the critic rating, I think, was A- minus for that. Was. Versus, they always are. I think B-plus was what Thor was at, which is actually one of the lower ones for these uh, these Marvel films. Um, this one looked phenomenal, because it also looked, it looked like different. just... It looked fun. It looked like they are having a good time. Well, the poster looks like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's no surprise. The movie's done. It's estimated here on a Sunday here. They're estimating it's going to end upwards of $118 million. Which puts it actually like around, I think like they said, fifth or sixth, I think, for Marvel openings. But that's pretty easily good. the strongest of the Thor films. So, uh, again, no real surprise there. Did you know? Here's the next one I thought was interesting. Bad Mom's Christmas came out. Did you know it got released last Wednesday? They actually gave it a five-day? No. Yeah. Because I've... Actually, that's pretty smart. It Well, you know... Date you, night... Guys don't want to go. This is a movie that they're gearing towards women to go in groups. Yeah. And you yeah. know you've got Thor. And you know that's going to be that's going to be coming at you. So you might as well get a couple days jump on it. Um, it came in as 15-7, which is like... You know, Over for a five-day weekend? Oh, that's just the three. Oh, that's really good, that's, man. That's, that's really good. You know, I, I, I think I saw people, analysts were like, okay, not so, not like spectacular, but pretty good. I mean, for, movie, uh, for a sequel, which is the opposite of the topic we're going to talk about later, that's super fast-tracked. Right. It, I, f- I feel like Bad Moms just came out. Yeah. Did pretty well. Jigsaw hang- was hanging in there. 6.3 at number three. What's its t- what's its cum? It's cum, yeah, I want to say, was like at... Uh, I 
want to say it was like in the, tw- the 20s. Halloween weekend was not really that big. Um, I was wondering how the response to Jigsaw was going to be because, I mean, it's not like it's been a super long time since the last Saw movie, but I think it's been long enough to where the, the landscape's changed a little bit with horror. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I felt like it was... I, it was no surprise that compared to Boo 2 that it wasn't going to do as well just because like they cracked the code last year with that. When they released yeah. it, that thing just killed. Right now, looking at... Um, I'm seeing just where it's updated at here. Where they put it? Nah, I don't, I, don't, I don't exactly have it. I don't think like it... I don't think it was close to Saw numbers by any means. So I think that goes to show you it's like, yeah, people are kind of moved on from this. Well, we, we but this is another belated sequel, in a way. It, in a way it is, and horror is a, is a genre that constantly changes. Yes. You know, over time. And the problem that I, I saw with Jigsaw was that it wasn't offering anything new. It wasn't doing anything different. It wasn't pulling like a Wes Craven's new nightmare. It wasn't doing... Oh, I don't want to talk about this stuff yet, but it wasn't doing something like what Scream 4 was doing. Yeah. You know, it's like it didn't have anything new to say this time around. It was just the same old, same old, and I think people were a little turned off by that. Yeah. Man, Thor, they're actually putting it 121 now. It's actually made that much more. Okay. So, yeah, the um, the three-day cum on Batman's Christmas was the 17th. But, yeah, Jigsaw, its total is at 28.8. Oh, well, which it, how many weekends? Well, it's only two. Only two? Yeah. It's, it's not amazing. It's not terrible. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly my thoughts on it. But um, Boo 2 actually came in. Like, it's not... It's actually... You believe it, man? That's made, that's made over forty mil. No, I can't believe that. That's incredible. How people One will pay to later. see the same movie every yeah. single time. Geostorm rounds out top five at two point nine. It's actually, it's coming at below thirty million on a hundred twenty-four million dollar price tag cost to make that. We're that looking film. at you, China. That's Save right. us. That's right. <laughs> so, um, I think the Thor thing is fascinating because as this leads in our next topic, talking about the fall preview, because. The big story in November is going to be Thor versus Justice League. And Justice League is now, with under a two-hour runtime, can easily squeeze in a lot of showings. What is the runtime? It's under just barely under two hours. About time. So... How long is Thor? Oh, it's... I, Another one of those ridiculously astronomically long Marvel movies? I'm just going to offhand say yes, but it's probably... I, I, I imagine it's at most two and a half. But still, like, the, the thing is, the Justice League thing, will it do well? I, I don't know. There's some people that point to, well, the Wonder Woman thing could help carry it. Yeah, it might. But at the same time, like, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be nearly what Wonder Woman did over the summer. No. Um, no. I, I, think, I think audiences are, are separating these movies yeah. in their minds. The other thing that's going to hurt is The Punisher gets released that same day on Netflix. The Netflix show. And mm-hmm. that looks... Like, like the question becomes that distributors have to ask: Am I going to put something out there that's going to be good enough to get get a moviegoer to leave their house and forego what's on Netflix or on Hulu or on YouTube and actually go somewhere to watch something, right. i.e., my movie? Well, it's tough. I was actually having this conversation at like a party the other night where there was usually you would go to the movies to see the big budget special effects and stuff like that. They can actually do that with television shows now. Yeah. You know, so like that chasm is getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. So, as we're talking about the fall here, now what what we kind of did was we went through and picked a couple movies each that were 
they're movies that I, it's not necessarily like yes, this is something I'm dying to see. It could be that, but it could also be something like it's gonna be curious. I'm curious how this turns out because this is gonna be you know one that not necessarily gonna raise eyebrows, but it's gonna be a challenge. It'll be a challenge. So I wanted to lead off with the last with Last Flag Flying. It just came out and limited this weekend. This is Richard Linklater directing Brian Cranston, Steve Carell, and Lawrence Fisher. And it was and what has been written, they've called it a sequel to The Last Detail. It's not because these are Marines, that's the Navy. But it's the trailer looks awesome. It is a trio of former Marines reuniting and journeying across America to attend the funeral of a young soldier that is the son of Steve Carell's character. And then it becomes, well, they don't want to bury him in Arlington. He wants to bury him where his family is. And it's a fascinating kind of look at, you know, of course, uh, looking at the war, things of that nature. Except I believe this takes place, like, not, in, I think it takes place early 2000s is when it takes place. So it's not like this commentary on where things are right this second. But of course, with war, those are themes that are fairly universal. You could plug them in at any time period, it seems like, since Vietnam. But it looks awesome. It, it, Cranston, Cranston is definitely the Jack Nicholson, if you're doing the last detail comparison. Lawrence Fishburne is, um, is the other component that's right out of it. Carell looks really nicely grounded, where he's not stuck doing the, you know... That, Jennifer Schmucks? Yeah. He's also not stuck necessarily. Like I didn't see Foxcatcher. I heard that's great. Yeah. It looked like a very dry movie, though, like a, a tough movie to get through and everything. <laughs> But he seems like to be a really nice linchpin in this for both of them. There's a lot of hype that this could get Linklater the Oscar for director. And well, he's long overdue for one. The, the trailer, like the, the criticisms I saw over the weekend were some people didn't like, or critics didn't like how it kind of fell into that territory of, oh, we have to do old man jokes. We're old men and they're the young men and we do that. It's, it's Last Vegas all over again. I'm, I'm excited for it because I'm excited for Linklater. I thought with boy Boyhood he should have easily won Best Director, but that didn't happen. Not that the Oscars mean everything, but when you have like a director, actor, artist that you really like, you want to see them get it. And this is, based on what I saw in that trailer, Like this seems like one that could run, but we'll see. It's only unlimited right now. It just came out this weekend. What do you? What's one from your end that you're, you're either excited about or curious about, one you want to talk about? I just saw the trailer for it last night, actually. Um, I, Tanya. Okay. Tanya Harding yep. movie. Yeah. This movie looks very different. You know, these biopics, I'm usually, I've, I've got, we've, we've talked about this before. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of turned off by biopics now because they're pretty much all the same. Mm -hmm. And then I see the trailer for this thing and it looks completely different. And, and I actually had the thought right before the review came up, they're actually saying it's the Goodfellas of, docu, of uh, docudramas. Really? And it does look like, if you haven't seen the trailer, yeah, it, it yeah. does look like Goodfellas. Like, just the way that it's shot. And it actually got me going back into that old story about her and uh, Kerrigan and all oh, that yeah. went into that. And it's a good 30 for 30 they did. Remember oh, that oh. one? It's solid. It's solid. Oh, yeah. yeah. But Margot Robbie, she's a great actress. And uh, I, I, this feels like something she's going to try to get an Who's Oscar playing for. Kerrigan? Do you know? They didn't even show Nancy Kerrigan in the trailer. No, they didn't. So they're focusing basically on Tanya Harding and Jeff Galuli. Who looks spot on. Yeah. Like, and that's uh, Sebastian Stan from Adventures. Right. Yeah. Sebastian Stan actually got the second billing, yeah, yeah. which is great. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely on my radar, like especially after seeing the trailer, which 
Usually I, I try not to watch trailers much anymore, but I was just curious enough, you know, because what could they do with this? Yeah. Oh, they can really go back into. You was directing that? Act, uh, Craig Gillespie. Okay. Uh, he directed okay. Um, the Fright Night remake. Yeah. From a few years ago, which was an excellent remake. It's a guy who kind of gets at that eighties and nineties vibe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I feel like he would get it because when, you when you were saying that Goodfellas, I was like, you know, because we're talking about a story that's like what. Really takes place between ninety and ninety four is mm-hmm. the encompassing the real strong Harding years and stuff like that. So that's solid. When's that coming out? That's uh, December eighth. That's, that's just limited, I bet, right? Uh, probably it'll probably get a wider release later on because okay. uh, I'm sure they want to try to test this thing out to see how well it can do. But yeah. I mean, I th- I'm serious. I think it's got good potential, and they're going in, they're going really into Tanya Harding's backstory here about uh, she had a completely different upbringing. Real quick, I don't want to because it's not one of the ones I picked, but I saw like the, we talked about LBJ a year ago. They finally are pumping oh, the it out, Woody and the reviews are stellar for Reiner. <laughs> he could use them, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah. He Rob had... Reiner hasn't gotten reviews like this in years. Well, he hasn't had a great movie in years. Yeah, yeah. And, and this—he's one of those guys that I've always wanted to have a major he will, comeback. He's going to be fitting into the other half of this show, which has to do with when did that come out in '86? We're doing yes. Stand by Me, so it'll be—it'll be cool to kind of mm-hmm. tie those two together. Because yeah, I'm a huge fan of Rob Reiner. Yeah, definitely. Go from 1984 to 1995. He's not a great... Yeah, that was a run. That was the run we talked about in that episode. Yeah. The it, run. Right. He had one of the greatest... I mean, you take North out of it, right. but he had one of the greatest runs in all of directing. So that'll be great to see. This movie comes out... I think... I'm not sure if this is a wide... I feel like this is also a limited... For November 10th, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I've heard about this. Martin McDonough. Uh-huh. And it's with Frances McDormand, who just looks mm-hmm. like I hate I hate this phrase tour de force. Oh, they're going to say indie darling. Wow, <laughs> I tour de force is always this really. It's Mickey Rourke. It's this easy way to describe an awesome performance that we see on the back of. I was going to say VHS tapes. Was, it was yeah, always I'm on the back really, of VHS really dating tapes. right there. But no, I mean the the thing that's get, uh, that's getting people excited is Frances McDormand in a really commanding. Like, it's, she's got the filthiest mouth possible. The Red Band trailer, she is just all over the place. In this. And it's a good, I mean, it's one that, this is a universal story. A grieving mother takes justice into her own hands after her daughter's murder remains a mystery in this town in Missouri. Woody Harrelson's the, the sheriff here. And... Isn't that that Julia Roberts movie that came out last year? Um, Remember that one she came out with the Chiwetel Elder for? Uh, they play, like, news reporters and... Julie Roberts' daughter becomes the news, and the guy gets off, and he and she like tracks him down like twenty years later. It was a remake. Yeah, but yeah, okay. that's man, that washed over me. I had forgotten about. Well, that. yeah, I mean, it kind of washed over everybody. I, I I don't think it got a very wide release. I'm fascinated because McDonough is we know from theater, very acclaimed mm-hmm. writer. Um, as a director, I mean, he hasn't slouched. He won an Oscar for Six Shooters as, as a short, and then followed up oh, with him. Six. Yeah, that yeah. was great. Followed yeah. up with In Bruges, mm-hmm. great. Seven Psychopaths was cool. I, I'm not gonna say I loved it to death, but it was definitely fun. It was a fun watch. His he he's another one of those interesting like you know if you have I'm not I don't want to just pigeonhole him and say he's an offshoot of Tarantino, but you can't like say their styles are independent of each other. They're very similar in ways, but uh, this definitely has this look where it's it's very jagged. It's a very like. It's got a very dark sense of humor to it. I think just seeing Frances McDormand finally in a part like this where it's not... I, I feel like after Fargo, like a About lot of her roles kind of became the same type of motherly 
I felt like a lot of these motherly roles. Were... I can only see her as uh, Marge Gunderson. Yeah, I, and, and it's no knock on her. I love Frances McDormand. Yeah, definitely. I'm pumped to see her in this because she commands the screen in this. That again, if you get a chance, check out the Red Band. It's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. What's one from your end? Why in the hell are they making another John Gotti movie? <laughs> yes. And why is it John Travolta? You know, like the. TV biopics don't usually get much credit or people talk about them. People remember the Armand Asante Gotti movie. Yeah. Like, it's, it's weird. Like, that movie kind of had, like, a, a hold on some people. Well, they're making another John Gotti movie. They're releasing it, like, the week and a half before Christmas, and it's got John Travolta. I, I just don't understand this casting. I mean, you know, when I... John Travolta... I guess the last good thing he did, he played, um, he played Robert Shapiro... In the O.J. Simpson uh, TV show, he was great, but he but he wasn't Robert Shapiro. It right. was he, it was I always I call it John Travolta's I, I have six fingers performance. <laughs> you know, <'cause, laughs> you that's know, awesome. The Battlefield Earth that he did, yeah, or stuff. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we'll take care of that. That was about Matt. sixteen and a half. Um, but but yeah, it's just like you know, he's just gonna do that over the top stuff or. Oh, remember Broken Arrow when he, when he smoked cigarettes? What is the thing he does in Face Off? What do you call that? Oh, uh, that, uh, that harassment? <laughs> <laughs> Water. Uh, well, what? that's how you know it's him. <laughs> <laughs> he just takes his face and just drapes it over yeah. here. Remember me? <laughs> no, so, I, I mean, I've always liked Travolta. I, I, the choices he makes in a lot of his movies are very bizarre. Yeah. But he's always fun to watch. Ain't it cool? Ain't it cool? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the John Woo two pack, but um, yeah, I am. I am looking forward to that. I yeah. have to say, um, here's this is one I mark this under. I am fascinated by this. I am interested how it does. Coco. Okay, I had that written down too. November twenty second. So that's definitely one for that. Thanks. It's gonna go out during that Thanksgiving uh, time frame to try and capture that audience. Right. Well, that's that's kind of uh, Pixar's weekend. Like they, they've done this a few times. They've done early November with like Monsters Inc. and um, Bugs Life did this. Yeah. And yeah. Toy Story two did it. Yeah. Too, now that I think of it, uh, I, I, I'm I'm interested in this movie, but I'm also apprehensive. It, it seems like they're. I like when Pixar takes a chance, and this definitely seems like yeah. a chance. This is a very different kind of vibe to it. This whole movie. I'm gonna let's compare it to Black Panther because Black or Black Panther's doing this very similar. It's like, yeah, right. we're going all in, man, and and as well they should. Yeah, I mean, I, I love like the art looks great. I mean, I, I think it takes place over the Day of the Dead. Yeah, yeah which right. is That's exciting. Right. You know, the, the, to see what that could look like with Pixar animation. Yeah, and it because I mean we Pixar movies for. the... They're great for the most part, but a lot of them can be similar, you know, at least in terms of like like this person's journey. This looks like something that could potentially be something different uh, in the vein of like the way Inside Out was completely different. You know, it's Pixar kind of does the, you know, with, all right, let's compare this to actors. Or what, you know, actors will do the thing where I'm doing this one for you so I can do one for me yes. later. Pix, <laughs> Pixar does, I felt like this year was like, okay, well, Cars 3 is going to be the slam dunk. Because right. it's a known franchise. Well, not really. It didn't do that great. I think no, it didn't. its opening is among the lowest of... Um, well, of the, where they're going to be able to make up with that is the merchandise. Oh, it's all-time seller. Like, the, cars is, I think, their top merch Yes, seller. yes. This is fascinating because when you look at it, the, the plot to this, just specifically, is despite his family's baffling generation's old ban on music, 
Miguel dreams of becoming an accomplished musician like his idol Ernesto de la Cruz. Just desperate to prove his talent, Miguel finds himself in the stunning and colorful land of the dead following a mysterious chain of events. Along the way, he meets char uh, a charming trickster, Hector, and together they set off on an extraordinary journey to unlock the real story behind Miguel's family history. That doesn't sound unlike any Pixar movie we've seen before. They're very much about these journeys of it's an always a journey of a person learning about you know whether it's themselves but or their place in the world. I find it to be though it's usually a much more fantastical idea. Right, like I'm gonna put a bunch of balloons on my house. We're gonna go flying. Uh, we're in outer space. I'm a robot. I need to figure out my purpose. But this seems a lot more grounded in some form of reality, and I am I, I'm excited for that for them. I'm excited. I, the reason I find it curious is we don't have to mince words. We know what ha what's come out since the election. We know things that were said before the election about bad hombres, oh, yeah. about all the. It is awesome to see that Pixar is going to be like you know what we're going to give you. It's going to be a full on Mexican heritage film, mm -hmm. and that's going to be so cool to see. I'm interested how it's. How it does? I think it will be helped by the by the when it's being released because let's face it, like a movie like this, it's definitely geared towards families. A family movie over Thanksgiving usually is a recipe for a solid well. number. Yeah, I think it will. I'm excited for them to, to try this because I feel like Brave was one where they tried to go like, all right, because that's that was the Scottish one, right? Yep. I never saw it. I'll be honest, I never actually saw it. Did you like it? You thought it was all right. It was all right. It was a very, it was their most Disney type movie. Okay. Because it had a princess. Yeah. You know, the, so that, which is fine. Yeah. You know, but I mean, like The Good Dinosaur, like that's another one. That but did that, not do very well, did it? No, it did not. The movie's okay. Yeah. But I mean, the, the problem with The Good Dinosaur though is the story of the making of The Good Dinosaur is far more interesting than the actual movie. But the, th the thing about Coco, like they have such a great opportunity here to, to bring in uh, you know, audiences, you know, white audiences, black audiences, yeah. to see something about a culture that they might not know much about because of, simply because of the Pixar name. Yes, and because yes. we've and we've talked about this before, Pixar is one of the few studios left where just their name, like to see it over a movie, I instantly want to see it. You know, it's 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 just the way that, that that they are. Like I can like what they have like seventeen movies to their name, and, yeah. and you know they take their time with every single one. Yeah. And for the most part, even the ones I don't particularly care for, I still find things to like. Right. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to get off on some pretentious like like uh, thing here, but it's an important movie right now. It is. And I'm I hope I'm it glad does. it's them doing it. And I and hope it does well, just because I think it'd be, you know. But the way things are, it'd be nice to be proud about something that has to do with like diversity in America, mm -hmm. you know, and stuff like that. But that's I'm not gonna get off on a tangent on that. But that was one I had. What's another one from your camp? The I don't know what you would call this a, a re sequel or whatever. This Jumanji. Oh thing. yeah, December right? December twentieth. I mean, we have to talk about it because I mean, it's Jumanji. It's a movie from our childhood, right? And um, this is I love I love the reaction it's getting. It's it's kind of reminding me of the Ghostbusters reaction from a few years ago, where there are so so many people that are just not re refusing to see it, but just the idea that they would make a sequel to a movie without Robin Williams. If you've seen the trailer for this thing. It's it's a pretty wild idea. Yeah, it's like Jumanji mixed with Avatar. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much. What that's it is. literally that's, like if yeah. they are avatars. That's exactly it. And what I, and a lot of people are nervous about it because 
apparently they do reference the first movie and they are going into the jungle. Hell, I think the subtitle for the movie is Welcome to the Jungle. And oh, yeah. They play the Guns N' Roses song exactly. in the trailer. But, like, one of the theories is they're going to bump into Robin Williams while he's in the jungle. You know, from that, that lost period where he was... Oh, yeah. And with what we've seen from Rogue One and uh, Tron Legacy... Oh, man. Look, I don't think they can do it. I think Robin Williams had something in his um, in his will that said that they couldn't make money off of his likeness for 25 years. I got do you. Do remember reading that? So, like, the, the, like, they can't do anything with him, like, in regards to, like, the genie or... Yeah. You know, this is why they're talking about remaking that and putting like Will Smith as the genie or something right but like it's it's being it's being headlined by The Rock yeah who has somehow become the most bankable movie star in the country yeah which is a I mean it's a real feat for him I, I'm interested to see just how it does yeah because I mean Jumanji is a movie that I grew up with and that I do love although I will admit it has a lot of problems so I, I've, as many times I've seen it I'm not overly fond of it but I am fond of Robin Williams yeah and yeah, you know the idea of making a sequel because it is Jumanji too. They they have said it is a sequel without him uh, is the real interesting thing to me. Yeah, I think this fits into our discussion for later uh, sequels that are oh, yeah. long overdue. I, I think that'll be a definite. I I, I think it'll do. It'll be fine. I don't know if it'll blow anyone out of the water because um, it's it's coming out practically the same weekend as Star Wars. Like or not practically the same. No, week. it is like, the same weekend. Well, it's the it's the twentieth. Is uh, it in the fifteenth? Star Wars comes out, I believe, on the on the eighteenth. Yeah. Okay. So like they're they're within striking distance of each other. Which if you're anything that's like if you're anything that's like all right, if you're not a rated R or some something else that's completely off the reservation of Star Wars, you might as well just pack up and leave. Like it'll be tough. It will be tough for anything to survive during that yeah. time period. This is one that I picked that's in that area that I think would do okay. It's called The Post. It's Steven Spielberg's next movie. It comes out December 22nd. Uh, it's with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. It recounts the true story behind the Washington Post's decision to publish the Pentagon Papers, the government documents that revealed the broadening of the U.S.'s efforts in the Vietnam War that were kept secret from the public. This looks awesome. This looks like it'll be a fun, good time to see... Especially with Tom Hanks being Ben Bradley, who was uh, Jason Robards, won an Oscar for playing Ben Bradley in All the President's Men. And you're going to see Meryl Streep playing one of the, the, the female reporters on the staff. This has every bit of Oscar written all over it if it delivers. I'm actually a little ashamed. I, I did not know this. Yeah, they actually... I didn't know hear they, about this movie. Because <laughs> they were joking about it compared to Ready Player One. Like, he had this thing, like... He was able to shoot this thing, like, like it was nothing. Ready Player One? Well, this compared to that. Oh, okay. Yeah, like it was nothing. So, I mean, I, I'm intrigued by it because, uh, you know, seeing I love seeing Tom Hanks in a Steven Spielberg movie like most of us do. You add Meryl Streep in there. I, I don't see how I don't this... I think she's ever worked with Steven Spielberg. I think you're right. I don't know how this doesn't get, like, major awards consideration. I love the storyline with this, the the stuff about the Washington Post during this time period. It is as relevant as any, as any story going on today. Fake news, whatever you want to call it, it's very relevant. So... Mm-hmm. That's that's one I, I wanted to throw out. The last one that I, I want to throw out real quick is, and and with the current climate in Hollywood, I think it's important is downsizing. Okay. Yes. With, with Matt Damon, because there was a scathing article that I read yesterday that about Matt Damon, like not like ju- judging his character badly or anything, but just talking about basically how bland he is 
and how it's up to directors to make him interesting. Like whether it be George Clooney or Gus Van Sant or something like that, where because he does present this image of himself that is very kind of on the straight and narrow. I mean, he sticks up for his for teachers and he and he has his his charities and stuff that he you know that he commits to. But now he's kind of getting caught up in this Harvey Weinstein business. Yeah, and I believe Suburbicon bombed. Um, I, I don't think it did ex- extraordinarily well. That was the Clooney director. That was the one. Clooney one. Mm-hmm. It is at Suburbicon 1.16, but it's it's only in it's in let's see it's in over like, two thousand theaters. That's wide. So yeah, it's five day. Yeah, it's um, it's three day was yeah 1.16. Yeah, not spectacular. It, it, no, that is an understatement and. Downsizing, just from Alexander Payne's film history, I'm not expecting it to do well, although I am expecting a really good movie. It's an interesting concept about a man who figures that life would be a lot easier if he was just shrunken down. I don't know how that works, but it sounds like an Alexander Payne idea. Yes, it does. And I am... I am excited to see that. Maybe not as much as Suburbicon. I'm actually a little upset that that didn't do well because that looked like a very interesting movie. But, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. Yeah. I, I think that kind of criticism is just weird. It's like, uh, if you're doing acting in the honest sense, it's, I think it's you come in clean slate, what's the director's vision? Mm. You bring a few things to the table as an actor, but mostly it's how do I work within their confines? Why is that a bad thing? I don't know. I think it's just a dumb I, argument. I, I was... I think it was. I think the article was more about how he is outside of. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. Never mind. Okay. Because I'm, I am misspeaking then. I mean, there is a bland milk white toast to to his, to some of his performances, but I've always liked Matt. Dillon. Yeah, I, I mean, think he works wrong. in the majority of the movies he's in. He yeah. is a good fit. I mean, I, I guess if all you ever saw of him was Jason Bourne, then right? You'd be like, ugh. But I mean, his performance in Good Will Hunting is phenomenal. Yes, all absolutely. He really is. And I think these two movies alone, Suburbicon and Downsizing, are very interesting choices for him to make, yeah. especially at this stage in his career. Um, my final one, I'm not. This one shouldn't be a surprise. Um, December, this comes out on Christmas. I'm not sure if that's a limited or a wide, but I have a feeling it might be more of a wide. We'll see. It's Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread with Daniel Day Lewis, oh, yes. the supposed last movie. I don't. I'm not big on the retiring thing. I just don't. I've never been on that. I'm more interested in the fact that it's about a renowned dressmaker's uh, fastidious life disrupted by a young, strong-willed woman who becomes his muse and his lover. And of course, at that point, then it becomes her independence kind of grows through this, her free thinking, and how he tries to control it. It looks like a like a really it looks like a D-Day performance where he doesn't he doesn't have to like he doesn't have to change his accent, doesn't have to do any kind of like it's it's pretty He's much just him. That's what I want, and I'm, that's what makes me curious. This is how people will judge it versus Lincoln, because Lincoln, in a lot of ways, is a really good like. I'm not gonna say impersonation because nobody ever saw the right. man, but you never heard of him. But you know, in, in all in many ways, people are folks. He looked just like him. He looked just like him. Well, I want to see him do this because it's going to be him playing a part that's going to be relying just on things that have nothing to do with accent or or because I think he's just he sounds just like his normal English like accent. So mm-hmm. yeah. Or prosthetics or anything like that. So I'm pumped for it. The poster looks so cool. I love the poster for it because it's only him from behind. You don't see his face at all. And uh, well, it's great that he's reuniting with Anderson. Yeah, because there will be blood is as close to Citizen Kane as anything I've seen. And I'm not saying I'm not 
sitting here saying Citizen Kane's the greatest movie ever, but in terms of a, a strong character study like that, it's close. So those are a few movies in the fall. I think this fall looks amazing. There's other movies it that... It looks a lot better really, than I originally gave it credit yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. Um, so real quick, I know you want to touch on the Criterion thing, so let, go ahead and oh, launch yeah. into the Criterion. They released The Breakfast Club. It created a bit of a stir. Well, they're releasing it in January, and uh, the cr- Criterion Collection, I mean, typically it's a lot more of a, I guess, like art house type films or foreign films, old older films like that. Un- films that they feel that are unappreciated and occasionally they will release a movie that has a mainstream quality to it like whether it be The Big Chill or Tootsie and whenever things like this happens it always creates a little stir and the thing that these people that, that collect Criterion that I don't think they understand is that it's these mainstream big movies that pay for these smaller movies like just like I'll direct this if you if you let me direct my movie right, it's like right. it's, it's the same kind of deal and a lot of people are saying, well, why The Breakfast Club? Like, this is like the most commercial movie that they've done yet. And, I mean, maybe that's true. But, can I mean, can you honestly tell me anyone that you know that doesn't like that movie? Right. No. no I can't. I can't. No. Exactly. That's the thing. And, like, and it's, a, it's a quintessential John Hughes. Like, if you just see a John Hughes in one movie, that's it. That is it. It really is. I mean, it's not my favorite, but... It, but for me, it fits into what Criterion is. You know, it's a character study. It doesn't have that many locations. Like, I mean, basically, it only has one location. But they go around. They go around there, and that's that's kind of what I think of when I think of Criterion. And I, I mean, I I have I have some of these, and they're and they're good. Mm-hmm. Like they have the best transfers of anything on home video. Like yeah. that's the I don't know how they get the the. The rights or, or the ability to get these prints of these movies that are in such great quality, and that's what I'm most looking forward to. Other than the fact that uh, on the special features for this, they're releasing 50 minutes of deleted scenes from The Breakfast Club, which no one's ever seen. Didn't even know it existed. Right. Which makes me hopeful of the eventual three-hour cut of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles yeah. that's lost. Right. You know, they say, "Oh, it doesn't exist." Blah blah blah. Like, oh, it oh it exists. It's Probably some. Something. It's in a right. warehouse. Probably under Next to that three-hour cut of Mission Impossible 2. Right! And that's another one. You know, these movies do exist. <laughs> now, wouldn't that be funny if Criterion released a Mission Impossible? Just that one. Well, just that one. Well, we we talked about this before. It's it, Even so, it's not still not the most commercial movie that they've ever done because they've done Michael Bay movies. <laughs> done Armageddon. They did Armageddon <laughs> and they did The Rock. And uh, they did Paul Verhoeven's uh, RoboCop. Right. You know, of course, these were on the, this is in the DVD era. They haven't done this on Blu-ray yet. But like another thing I love about Criterion are these little articles that they print inside, like that are written by film critics. And I found myself actually agreeing with the one with the guy who wrote for the Armageddon release. Yeah. You know, defending Armageddon as a viable entry in the in the in the collection. I was like, I actually agree with that to an extent. I mean, you could realistically make an argument for any movie. You could, Big. you could. I'm not now. Like this movie don't is so tell, bad, it's th- it's special. Like I will give you one, Showgirls. Why? Because of culturally, time period, all that. It's another one of those movies that when you get beyond the fact, not nearly as bad as like the reviews. It's not. No, it's still bad. You know another one. I, I'm sure. Is this on Criterion? Is Heaven's Gate on there? That sounds like a movie they'd have. I'd have to look that up. Because it's another movie but, that was just yes. panned terribly. But it's not nearly as bad as it comes off. Another one, The Sorcerer, mm-hmm. the William Friedkin movie that, again, right. like, the movie where he goes off the cliff with a movie and never really comes back. 
as a director people want to go to. So I don't want people to get so upset about that stuff. It's like they feel like they have an ownership. Right. You know, it's like just, this is our thing. And I'm like, it's for all of us. I think it's maybe in the name when you say criterion, criterion. that makes it sound like it's it's a very select group and therefore only select movies need to be in it. Well, well why does every single Wes Anderson movie have to be released on right. Criterion? They're right. not all good. In fact, hardly any of them are good. There we go. Me. There's They're the hot not. take. Hot They're take. Really not. There yeah. it comes. There comes that rant you've been wanting. I've been wanting the I want to give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Yes. I know like, it's like he has a deal with them. Right. Like to release these movies. Moonrise Kingdom? Come on, get out of here. But, um, I mean, that's, that's pretty much that one. Now, I'm, I'm glad that we, we positioned this one for last because you had sent me this article this week about somebody writing, not really nicely, mind you, about A Lethal Weapon 5. Mm-hmm. And this gets into this talk about sequels, whether it's even worth to do them you know, at some, at some point because it's been so long since the last one came out. But Lethal Weapon is one, despite how Blade Runner 2049 is done, despite how... Uh, like a bad Santa two, you know how that did. How even dumb and dumb, how and dumb and dumber two, which you know commercially did all right, but I think for the most part people were like, eh. They were underwhelmed. Yeah, I'm all in on Lethal Weapon. Lethal 5. Weapon five. I've been saying it for years. It's the only one that I want. And we Disney. didn't mention Daddy's Home two in the in, in the fall preview. And that just the only That's reason true. I want to mention that with Lethal Weapon is Mel's coming back. He's bad. As an actor. Well, like I said, cool. there's so much bad stuff going around in Hollywood right now. They're looking at Mel going, you know, he's not so bad. I'm sure that that's got something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so Lethal Weapon 5. Like I said, of all the belated sequels you could think of, this is the only one I ever really wanted. And it's been off and on ever since probably about 2003. Yeah. 2012, we thought we were getting it, too. Yep, that's and, right. And then, no. Mel's like, yeah, I'm done. But now, with the TV show being a success... And the renewed interest in Mel Gibson. Yeah. It looks like a, a real possibility. Which is strange because there's no Joel Silver. Right. Joel Silver doesn't seem like he's a part of it at all. Right. And the, he was always the thing holding up Richard Donner. Because they all, that was the rumor in 2012. Oh, it'll come back. Yeah. It'll be directed by Shane Black. Exactly. Because Joel Silver hates Richard Donner. And Richard Donner's... Like, he's, a, he, he's, an, he's 87. Yeah. I mean, like... To direct that caliber of movie. Hey, I'd be impressed, man. I'm not saying he can't do it, but I'd be really impressed. I'd be, I want to see him do it now because I remember watching a documentary on the fourth one where they talked about how it was one of the last action movies that had no CGI. Like, it was one of the last ones. Like, like when they drive the car out of the building. Yeah. Oh, like they really did that. Yeah. Richard Donner was a phenomenal action movie director. Yeah. And the action sequences in Lethal Weapon are, I mean, they're next to none. Like they're even the even the ones that are on the minimal scale, I absolutely love. But this there's this idea, like because of the article that you brought up, of these sequels that take so long and they're not going to be any good or they're not going to do well. And I mean, I find that honestly to be fifty fifty. Yeah, like you you mentioned Dumb and Dumber, Blade Runner, stuff like that. But what about what about American Reunion? Right. You know what? A, like that movie did pretty well at the box office, and it's actually loved. Yeah, like and it's, it's really my good. It's, it's really it's my second favorite in the series. Yeah, I loved it. And there are some of them that are good movies that just don't do well critically. Right. I, I just rewatched it the other day. I still stand by it. Scream Four is awesome. Okay. It is such a great movie. Yeah, because it's a remake. It really is a remake. But then it just no, it's a sequel. Like it's just really clever. Didn't do that well. 
because right. the tide and hard changed. Right. You know, as we talked about, you know, slasher movies don't really do anything for anybody anymore. But like Blues Brothers 2000, like that's that's one that's bad. You yeah. Know, everyone can pretty much agree on that. But you know, it's it's it 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 works if it's done correctly. Right. And the thing they're talking about with Lethal Weapon Five that is a little worrisome is that it's going to be written by Channing Gibson. Who wrote the fourth? And, and, and let's also, that's, we don't even know if that's locked in. Right. But that's at least what they're saying, which that's, I think. That's what they're saying. Right, right. Which, because I, I, I looked at it too, I was like, huh? That guy? Yeah. No. Like, there's, they've got, there's, I don't rule Shane Black out of this. I think he could think easily he be involved. He wanted Mel to direct Iron Man 4. That's right. So, like, you know, he and him, those guys are tight. Right. So. But one of the best sequels ever made, I've said this many times, Psycho 2. Came out 23 years after the first one. People hear it, even hear that title. I think it, that sounds ridiculous. It's an amazing movie. Yeah, well, it, it came out. Tarantino actually said it's better than the first. Well, okay, <laughs> that's a take. What I was going to say though is it came out in a great time period. Yo, movies sure. like that were out there. Nowadays, with Fast and Furious and all these things, Lethal Weapon could still work. Now, granted, I would not go toe to toe with those movies in terms of action. I think you need to do something different if you're going to if you're going to be successful. Because I, I don't think you want to see a Fast and Furious level action movie that's called Lethal Weapon. No, those movies are garbage. Yeah, uh, I, I, mean, I don't want to see a, that. There's a difference. Uh, now, it's the only thing that I can, I'm concerned about is the same argument that oddly enough Bobcat Goldthwait had about a new police academy, which is I'm not quite sure in the current climate there is an audience that really wants to root for police, like a mass audience, and that's. That's really the only thing. You could, man, could you work around that though with these guys? Because they're so old could. that they're not really yeah. cops anymore. Right. Right? You know? I'm worried about it. And, and let me clarify I'm not saying that's my problem. Right, right. I understand. That's a public perception yeah, yeah. deal. And yeah, you could work around it, and those characters are so comfortable. I don't understand why it seems like such a ridiculous idea to do this when Lethal Weapon, the TV show, are, has already clocked in at least four times as many hours than the yeah. movies ever did. Great. Uh, my fi- my final case in point would be all right. So they, they did Rocky Balboa in 06, but then what I love what Ryan Coogler did was like I'm gonna spin this and here's Creed and it was amazing. It might be St- Stallone movies are, I think are the best example of the long belated sequel that is phenomenal. Yeah. Like whether it be Rocky Balboa, Creed, or even Rambo. Yeah. All three of those movies brought it. Now Creed two, him directing it. I am a little worried about. I don't think it'll be nearly as good as Creed, but that's another topic we can discuss on another show. I think it'll be great, but I I, I think the I think the, it'll be the reason up. why Creed was so good in complete and total honesty is because it was the first movie. That's it, it is almost the first movie to attain. Right. I my my fear though with the second one is it becomes more about Rocky than it does about Creed. Mm-hmm. That's what I worry about because I. I I think his writing... I mean, he got nominated for an Oscar for that first one. But it's not like the writing in all of them was super strong after no. really the second one. So that's where I feared that, like... I, I, I don't know. I don't know. No, you're Again, right. we can talk... There's a big difference between 70s Stallone and 80s Stallone. Oh, yeah. There's a huge difference. Oh, yeah. But, um... But anyway, the, I'm very hopeful. Yeah. I'll leave oh, the weapon God, five. Yeah. I, I tell you, I don't go to the theater hardly ever anymore. I'll be there to see Star Wars opening night. And I will certainly be there to see Leave the Weapon Heck, 5. Heck yeah, man. If they make it. Yeah. As rated R. <laughs> as rated R. Yeah, yeah, it has to be. And 
One last thing I'll say about Shane Black, the one thing he said about how, what he wanted for Lethal 5 that I really hope they stick to is, no, 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 this isn't going to be some passing of the torch movie. He said, no. He said, you guys, he said if you're going to have the guys who were originally in the movie in it, then have them in it. This guy who gets it. Yeah, he Shane Black it. understands it. Yeah. You know, the, the, this, this isn't somebody else's franchise to have. And not to mention, and I had this conversation with a buddy of mine last night, that never works. This passing of the torch crap. Die Hard, Indiana Jones. Shaft. Shaft. No, <laughs> Shaft is a great example. It, it's never worked, and yet they continue to try it, yeah. and they keep failing. Right. Well, folks, that's Screeners and Dailies. You got the episode one of it. We didn't talk about what the show was. We just let it speak for itself. It's about movies, t- movie talk right now. That's what uh, this show is about with the Real Change Movie Podcast. I'm a movie fan. Charlie's a movie fan. That's that's really all we are. We dabbled in this stuff. Absolutely. We kind of speak from a little bit of experience, but we speak from being fans. The um, Besides this show, the other component of the Real Change Movie Podcast is when did that come out? Go ahead and tell people briefly what it's about and set them up for that first episode. Sure, sure. So when did that come out is basically like a little anthology s- season that we'll do uh, every now and then. So... The first one is 1986. We take one year of film, and 12 months out of the year, we pick a movie from every month of that year. January, February, March, that's three movies. We just pick one, something maybe that we've seen, something maybe that we've always wanted to see. It doesn't matter. We both agree on it, we're good to go. And we just discuss it, and we we also talk about the year in general. And for season one of When Did That Come Out, it's 1986. And it's... Oh, it's Iron Eagle. Iron Eagle for January. For January. That'll be coming out next week. We're going to alternate week to week. One week it'll be screeners and dailies. And the next week it'll be when did that come out. We're just going to alternate those each week. So our goal is to keep this a weekly movie podcast alternating between current things going on as well as things from the past, things that we're kind of nostalgic about, things of that nature. We are on Twitter at RealChangePod. I'm at WilliamRinkin83. I'm at CM underscore Stabs. We'll see you guys in January of 1986 next with when did that come out. And we're at Real Change Pod. I already said that. Oh, well. Well, I guess you can... Oh, well...